This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, fans of all ages, you've got once again the DLR Cast, the podcast by and for fans of David Lee Roth, arguably the world's greatest lead singer at some point in time. They're around these parts. With me, as always, is my good friend, Darren Paltrowitz. Darren, what's happening? <laughs> as always, there's something happening. Oh, man, we keep ha- getting these little news bits, but something funny you just said, listeners of all ages, I don't think that there's a lot of people under a certain age <laughs> in the Daily Royal fan base the way that it's going. Like That's you true. could say at this point, ACDC or Metallica, you could say people of all ages because they've crossed over with great licensing, but with Roth, is there a Roth fan younger than 38? I would be shocked. <laughs> Until there's a David, Lee, a, a David Lee Roth t-shirt in Target that right. kids can start wearing first, ironically, before they discover yeah. the music, right? You mentioned licensing. No, you are correct, sir. <laughs> so so let's, let's set this up because, as always, when it comes to this podcast and all things Dave, the timing is hilarious and ridiculous both simultaneously. So we last recorded... Uh, last recording, did we did we get it up the same day? I'm not sure. Last recorded same, a day. Pod, yeah. same day podcast. That was July 26th. And that rings that date sticks with me because one, it was barely a week ago. Right. And two, we were done recording and barely 90 minutes later, I get a text from you. Did you see this? And I look and I see a YouTube link and I'm like, and I see the title. I'm like, God damn it. Are you kidding me? I couldn't race back to the microphone. You're ahead of me on East Coast time. I'm just like, our joke came true. Folks, you never know. By the time we get done with this podcast, Dave might be releasing a new song. And God damn it, that's what happened. Yeah. The last song that came out before this one came out on a Friday night out of nowhere. This one comes out, I think it was a Tuesday. So. We're, we're totally devoid of logic of, oh, well, it's every other Friday. Oh, it's twice a month. There's just no structure as to when these songs are going to come out. But this was, uh, this was a song that we coincidentally brought up in that last episode. That's true. And that song is the one we've been, I think all day fans have been waiting the most for, because it's the one that's been talked about the most by right. John Five. And that's nothing could have stopped us back then anyway. To which, when we heard a quick blurb of that, a blurb of it, like a little live snippet somebody hooked us up with not too long ago from YouTube, I remember saying this should have been the tribute track released back in 2020 that instead of Somewhere Over the Rainbow Bar and Grill that Dave put out. Nevertheless, it's two minutes minutes and 44 seconds of damn goodness. It's, it's a, man, this song's got some layers and some levels to it. All of these songs he's released, and we'll get into this in a minute, I certainly have. This one, it's worth the hype, I think, if, if indeed a little bit short. Yeah, so the timeline is that song comes out, and then a day or two later, John Five's publicist sends me, because I'm on their distribution list, a press release saying there's a music video for it. And later that day, John Five's publicist sends a new link go no it's really meant to be over here so the video goes up initially on the channel of just some director person you've never heard of that has 20 subscribers literally it was 20 and then a couple hours later it moves over to john five's channel on youtube which then makes a person like me think ah john five commissioned this one was that your understanding as well I mean, Dave has not shared the video as far as I've seen. 
No, and I guess technically, I mean, do you need the blessing of? I mean, I guess because of a copyright strike, how would that work? Can anybody do a? Anybody can make do a video with a song bed on it, but YouTube would strike it down if it's not your original music. So somewhere Correct. along, right? So somewhere along the line, the blessing came from on high. That yeah, because if I remember correctly, it does say official video. It is the official video, and uh, if if we can get into a little conspiracy theory before we talk about how great the song is, oh, of course, we didn't talk about this uh, off mic or or over email. So I figured I was going to surprise you with a with a great John Five interview for this week. I thought that was going to happen because I reached out to that publicist. We have a great, great working relationship. She set me up with John Five a few times before, and I went, hey, I'd love to talk with John about this new song and the sessions. It's great. And she writes back right away, like, absolutely. Let me know when's good. And I go, okay, this time, this time, good days. I know John's on tour with Rob Zombie. Whatever works for him will make it work. Don't hear anything for a day or two. Hey, haven't heard anything. Uh, need any more info? It was declined. I pried a little bit. Uh, you know, investigators are going to pry. And it was shot down by Dave's handler. Whoa. Yeah. So uh, for anyone that has wondered, are we on the radar of David Lee Roth? I think the answer is yes. I think the DLR cast name has been said in his presence officially based on this one rejection that happened earlier today. So uh, we are not getting another John Five interview and apparently neither is the world. Was it something we said? <laughs> no, I, I think it's, um, if I had to guess on all this, I would think that it's part A of he's waiting for an exclusive where he could talk about it to Rolling Stone or somewhere. Yeah. And then the other part of it is he doesn't want to do anything without Dave's blessing because of course. Dave, for all we know, he could go, oh, I'm not going to put out the rest of these songs, John. You went behind my back. I, I asked somebody else in the Roth organization about this and they just rolled their eyes about the whole thing. They're like, yeah, we don't. We don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, there really, there's no rhyme or reason. It's not on specific release dates. It just happens. Now, you mentioned that it wasn't an official video that uh, that Dave didn't share, but he did share this because on his YouTube channel, there is nothing could have stopped us back then anyway. Official music video three days ago with 25,000 views. There's the one he put up with just that cover of the guys leaping in the air. Yeah. Uh, Van Halen. That's six days ago, 190,000 views. And then on John Five's channel, his YouTube channel, nothing, David Lee Roth, nothing could have stopped us back then anyway. Official video with now 56,000 views four days ago. So Dave shared it, I guess, officially a day yeah. A day after, and combined, we're you know nearing seventy, eighty thousand views. Could we talk about how um, structurally unsound that is to put up one song, three different videos? <laughs> Don't you want to impress everybody by having a hundred thousand on one link instead of having to to add up the three right there? Yeah, I mean, he left the original ver the original one up without Sans music video. Yeah, that's one hundred ninety thousand views of less than six now six days ago. So, well, the good news is this is now the fifth David Lee Roth song release. So it started in twenty twenty with somewhere over the Rainbow Barn Grill, right. and twenty twenty one we got two songs: Giddy Up and then Low Red Sunset. Uh, 
Yes. And then back July 11th, we got pointing at the moon. And now back on July 26th, nothing could have stopped us then anyway. All uh, copyrighted by What Was That Records. And we now have five songs. So we can say we have officially, I think, possibly, or at the very least, unofficially say, emphasis on unofficially, we've got half a new record. We've got half a new record, and that's without even counting Alligator Shoes, if that's really even a song. That was one of the things that there was, what, two or three instrumentals from the the Roth Project the comic book thing. That, that kind were of probably went. from the John 5, a.k.a. California Sessions. Yeah. So I I started reading about this song as much as I could. And it's still not clear to me if this new song is from 2007 or 2013. Are you seeing those contradictory kind of years as well? Yeah, it just makes my hair hurt a little bit just trying to figure all this out. Again, it's like some sort of maze locked in a riddle wrapped around an enigma in a mystery casing. Yeah. So you like the song? I really I really do. I love I really love the lyrics uh, in particular. They I mean, I always love Dave's lyrics, but this it really tells a story. You can hear it fitting to what it sounds like he was thinking of those Van Halen days when he wrote it. I really I, I love this record. If I can nitpick, I, mean, I love the song. If I can nitpick, it's too short. It's two minutes and 44 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's got an odd arrangement to my ears a little bit. Um, there's no real obvious hook like with Low Red Sunset or Somewhere Over the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Giddy Up kind of is in that oddball hook also. But, you know, pointing at the moon, it's I guess it's almost I don't know what sort of comparison I'd make to some sort of art, let's say some impressionistic thing or whatever. But it's none of this is your typical verse, verse, chorus, verse, verse, bridge, chorus, whatever, you know, solo. I mean, it's taking some chances and the sound sounds great and the singing sounds fantastic. John Five was right. Dave sounds terrific on it. I'm with you there. The criticism that I've seen a lot online and these are on Dave centric groups and comment threads it's that man that guy's trying to cram too many words into those lines on that song i can i can go both ways on that dave's been guilty of that for a long time but and that, that's a comment i've heard over the years and various he's got a lot to say but it works though yeah i'm, I'm with you on there it, it sounds great clearly uh love was placed into the arrangement of this but you know, I'd, I'm a little bit let down because the way that John Five was saying that this is the best thing that he's ever worked on with Dave. You know what? I like Slam Dunk better. I like some of the songs on the DLR Band album more. They might not be truthful autobiographical songs, but they're closer to what I look for in a Dave song than this. Yeah, I hear you there. I mean, I'll I'm going to leave the jury out on compa- comparing it because. It's different time, different place, certainly different sounds. I mean, yes. you know, so far there's nothing overtly hard rocking on from what we've heard. And we knew that from the way John Five has described it over these sessions from over the over the last couple of years. But the more I listen to the lyrics, there's some I real I mean, I've been really paying attention to lyrics on this one because my mind immediately goes because like the press immediately said, Well, this is a touching look back on the Van Halen years or whatever it was. And you think, okay, what is it? But, yeah, you can make that fit with, you know, the TV off the balcony, right? That's the second line. We threw the TV off the balcony. I'll tell you what line I love, which I get, is just my absolute favorite and just makes 
one of these ones where like, of course, there's no mystery there. No doubt in me, I do believe that no one listens to both sides except the neighbors. I mean, <laughs> come on. That's just fantastic. Yeah, that's your typical kind of Dave Lurk. Uh, when you turn on your stereo, does it turn you on in return? It's one of those kinds of things. So credit to him to still being interesting and uh, a wordsmith all these years later. I'll tell you what really also stands out to me when I first heard it too was uh, first taste of being victim of the very songs I of the very songs I sing. Yeah. Uh, ended up with say goodbye and I hope I hear good things. Walk away, walk away. Hmm. As as John Five alluded to, this song can be regarded as damn good part two. Right. And you and I you not only get that in sound but also in lyrics. Now. This is what confuses me, uh, and this is one of many, many things about Daily Roth that will confuse me this week alone. So this is such a nostalgic, look-back kind of song. Yet, has Dave commented in any way about the passing of Mo Austin? The one, head of Warner Brothers? No, I have not seen anything. Who some say signed Van Halen. <laughs> Mo Austin, yeah, I haven't seen anything about that. I just saw it in passing on social media uh, was somebody I follow used to work with him many years ago. And a yeah. lot of people worked with the guy. The guy was head of Warner Bro- you know, in the Warner Brothers yeah. universe for decades. He signed the Kinks, you know, a decade and a half before Van Halen. And supposedly it was the cover of You Really Got Me by Van Halen that got him really interested in, in Van Halen. But then again, other people credit Kim Fowley for discovering Van Halen. Other people say it's Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley says he's the one who told Gene Simmons to come. Then Ted Templeman says he's the guy. Then I'm sure Bill Gazzari says he's the guy. There's a lot of people who discovered right. Alan. But um, the only the, when I checked a couple hours ago, the only person related to Van Halen who I saw posted any kind of tribute to Mo Austin's passing was Sammy Hagar on a flea thread. And Sammy, of course, misspelled Mo Austin's name is Austin. Mo Austin. Uh, Not Austin, O-S-T-I-N. He did A-U-S-T-I-N, Mo Austin. Maybe that was a maybe that was a swiping uh, autofill mistake. It could have been, but you know, it's one of those things where you go, if he's all about the past and celebrating those early days, Mo Austin is up there with Ted Templeman. That is one of the most instrumental people in making Van Halen a thing. If he did not sign off on your band. Your album was dead in the water. You had to be a label priority if he was behind you. And let's face it, if that first Van Halen album did not get all that prioritization, we would not be talking about them in 2022. No, there was a real commitment, a real, I was going to say old school back then, but it was the 70s. It was a real commitment to breaking that band. Yeah, so much so that I think the story goes that Van Halen, you know, gets the the, the platinum album thinking, hey, we're rich. And it turns out that they had to buy the gold necklaces themselves. And oh, they were, they were over a million dollars in the in a hole in the hole. Exactly. So whether or not that's fuzzy accounting, that's still Warner Brothers investing in them to no end to get it off the ground. And right. they remained with Warner Brothers until a different kind of truth in, in 2012. You're not in the loop until you recoup. <laughs> did did you just think of that one or did yes, you- I I did. <laughs> but that's how that's how back then especially record company contracts work i mean we own your masters we own the masters we're going to give you all this money up front for tour support for recording right. and 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 you won't see a royalty until 
here's this advance for all this you won't and to for your pockets and you won't have a royalty at least until that gets paid back so so many bands start completely two hundred thousand dollars in the hole or whatnot because there's a video budget or tour support or you know you always hear those stories of bands and we've read this i'm sure in more autobiographies than we account we were we were whining and dining and going out on going to all these dinners and you know drinking wine with radio programmers and record label people only to find out two years later we were paying for all that well yes you were that's only one part of it i a friend of mine who was in a band on, on Electra Records was telling me about uh, they, they had a, couple, a hit or two in the mid 90s about how some of their fancy dinners were put on Metallica's tab. Fellow label mates. So it can be really fuzzy accounting depending on who has company cards. But exactly. But let's say this this new old song from Dave was recorded in 2007. Super interesting timing on that because 2007 is when they re-announced that he was coming back to Van Halen. It was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. It was Eddie back in rehab before they could get the tour underway. But that leads back to the, was Dave making an album? Had the album in the can and went, okay, Van Halen's on. And that's why this was scrapped. Or is it just wacky timing because he's always recording? He's got so much stuff. And this is a group of 10, 12 songs, whatever, done in a two-week period that really stands out really good in particular and you've got somebody who's active out there who's talked about it through the years and just you know it was ne no matter what it was never going to come out for at least a, at least in you know for as long as the van halen thing was still active there was no way that was coming out again that could have been contractually that could have been like that could have been well there's an easy way to get under the van halen brother's skin you step away from the family for a minute well that Let's just play devil's advocate and say that was 2007. Wasn't 2006 Eddie's weird porn soundtrack? Ooh, 2005 or 2006. Yeah, that was kind of the nadir of uh, of the various yeah. issues. But something that you just referenced, the you know Dave recording all the time. A listener of ours, uh, Carlo, loyal, loyal listener for a long time now, he was throwing me the names of uh, some of the people that Dave may may have played with on the side, and it's you know not Brian Young and Al Estrada and all that. There was a guitar teacher in New York named Jeff. I think it's Jeff Falkowski that was Dave's guitar teacher, and he also brought him to Japan for some of his time in Japan. So what I'm getting at is, anytime you think you know all the musicians who played with Dave Lee Roth. Oh, no. It seems like there are shadow bands that we may never learn about for the disco songs. Right. <laughs> disco One offs, overdubs. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, I, I would just I would really struggle with that. If, if I were a really talented musician and I were tracking something, I would, of course, ask the questions. Oh, so so where is this going to appear? Who, who am I playing for? I would do that. And if they told me Dave Lee Roth, I would not be able to keep that a secret. I would if I had to sign a piece of paper saying I had to. True, but the, there are plenty of secrecy-oriented professions where eventually the truth does come out. Even though everyone's walking on eggshells and keeping secrets, there's always the one crew guy with loose lips. Yeah, or you go home. You, honey, you won't believe the session I played on today. I, it, the call sheet just said, "Show up at Henson Studios. You'll never guess who walk get walk through the door. Get out." And then next thing you know, she's telling two friends, and she's telling two friends. And, you know, so yeah, it's conceivable. But uh, you know, keep on keeping on going back to this new old song. 
I just have to assume that it's coming out because every time there's a news story related to Dave, it gets referenced in there. They use my quote for my article thing where John five is talking about it. And other people had, you know, asked him about it over the years. It had to have been a pressure oriented thing for this to be coming out like that. You tell me I'm wrong. Prove me wrong here. There's just no rhyme nor reason towards any of this. For instance, you just reminded me I was enjoying the other day. It took several hours, of course, but that's just that's not a bad thing. But I was enjoying the other other day, the Dave and Dave podcast, where they had a great interview, the Dave and Dave uh, Unchained Van Halen podcast, where they had a great interview with a guy who we spoke about several times, Blair R. Fisher, the guy who befriended Eddie and there's that Rolling Stone. I don't know if you heard the whole interview, but I did I did manage to listen to it all. And this guy is apparently is working on a book. Side note, we might want to talk to him sometime. Yeah. But he brought up a really good point. Why three weeks after it happened, when it was dying away, would Dave comment on the article? Do you get what I'm saying? There's no rhyme, no reason for this. Same thing is, why now? I always ask this question. So with this song, why now? Why did he comment three uh, on something that Nobody really cared about three weeks later that this guy Fisher even mentioned the news cycle died down. I don't know why you get you get some wrong. You get some bad heat on that a response to something that one that did not need a response. You didn't need to respond to. And two, why then? Why did you wait? So what I'm getting at, basically, it's a long winded way of saying I can't figure this shit out. (laughs) I don't even I don't there's. There's got to be a reason for you to wake up one day and go, well, today I'm going to put this song out. Clearly, they're all done. They're in the can. They're mixed and mastered. They're ready to go at any time. Why July 26th? Who the fuck knows? What somebody close to the situation had told me was that these songs were not mixed and mastered the whole time. They were rough mix form. But John 5 had been talking about them as it's an album. It's done. And he might have been a little loose in saying that i remember interviews four or five years ago where john five was talking about it right on chris jericho's podcast and it's like yes i made this album with dave and what i'm getting at is it may have never been slated to be an album it may have just been a bunch of sessions that he did for fun uh and or for that jukebox musical that he was pitching and or pitched for the second van halen reunion uh reunion album which uh Blair I'm sorry is it Blair or Blake Blair Blair the that Blair had talked about in the Rolling Stone article because if you read the timelines that go back and forth it sounded like they did try and work on a second album but they had musical differences along with Eddie's health differences or health complications but that USA Today article from 2013 when Dave was still in Japan mode he was talking about I gave these songs to Van Halen and they turned him down. So that really is a he said, he said scenario right there. Because Eddie's like doing most things in Van Halen world. Yeah, but Eddie always says that and one of us doesn't listen to rock thing. And you knew, like, okay, he's talking about Dave loving dance and country and all that. But if these are the songs that he gave to Van Halen, yeah, it's country rock, but it's still rock. Yeah, well, maybe that I don't know. I'd love to see the songwriting credits because if John Five co-wrote them all, because Dave always works with a co-writer, right? For them, right. I mean, there's no way those songs with anybody but three Van Halens and Dave is going to end up on a record unless it's a full-on cover version by someone else. Or I'll wait 
uh, from 1984. Okay, that's the one <laughs> exception, right? Yeah, uh, I think that's the only exception to all that. Because when you hear the story of how Jump was made, I think the roadie helped Dave write the lyrics to it, but didn't get credit for it. He was driving him around all day while he was listening to the music and coming up with the lyrics. Usually it's customary that if you're in the room when something's written, you get a publishing credit or a share on it. Um, hence the the lame expression, like uh, change a word, get a third, you know, get a third. Right. Name. Right. So whether or not that was the case, you know, the the credits on A Different Kind of Truth all give Wolfie the co-write. Yet a lot of these are songs that Michael Anthony played on the demos of. So what I'm getting is. And you, back in the day, Michael got a Michael got a songwriting credit, even if he was only marginally involved in writing it at all, because that's yeah. the way they divided it all up back then. So some friends and I who have this endless email thread and we joke about stuff, we were laughing about Matt Sorum from Guns N' Roses signing a publishing deal a couple of weeks ago going, ha, what does he have? And then we were looking through stuff and like, oh, no, Guns N' Roses did five, six and seven way splits on the Use Your Illusion stuff. So Dizzy Reed, the keyboard player, has publishing and so does Matt Sorum on a lot of these tracks. Yeah. I no idea. There's a few residual checks, royalty checks coming in there. Yeah, uh, unless it's you get the because Vince Neal, a lot of the songs his name is on in Motley Crue. I'm not making this up. I know it from my old job. He had like 1.6% of the songs. They just did that of, uh, hey, Vince, here's a little taste. <laughs> if I remember correctly, on the very, very good Saints of Los Angeles record, the last Motley Crue studio record, I don't think Vince has a single songwriting credit on there. No, I, I think there and were all three way co writes. It was dropped you. Nikki, well, DJ Ashba. DJ Ashba, uh, yeah. And I've that, also heard that DJ Ashba, well, he, I think he produced it, but he also played all the guitars except for the solos. Yes. I think James Michael is the third guy. James Michael is one of Nikki Six's goons that it goes, here, you do that. <laughs> do you know what <laughs> I mean by that? Uh, you know, Nikki goes, there's going to be an album. We're going to get that advance. Do you want to do the work? I'll cut you in on this. Cool. Oh, don't burst another bubble, would you? Come on. <laughs> no, much respect to Nikki Six. Without him, there is no Motley Crue. No. That's a fact. And best businessman in that band, best creative vision. Um, but yet, the weird part about Nikki Six, and I know this is not the Six cast, it's it's the DLR cast, but <laughs> ever notice how many bands Nikki Six has had out of Motley Crue and zero of them have taken off? <laughs> No, I beg to differ on 6 a.m. They've had a really good run. I mean, they're not Motley Crue size, but they've done some tours. They've sold some records. Many, many years ago, I was involved with the marketing on that first record. And when you put a book out and that made a big splash, man. I mean, that was the first new music from. But did that come? Why that came after did that come after the Saints of Los Angeles record before? I can't remember. But, you know, yeah. it was really well received and he's done. He could. I wish he would do more of that stuff. I think there's been at least two records. I think it's five or something like that. You know what? You're right. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to admit I was wrong. It's just when you don't listen to a, an active rock radio market, <laughs> certain bands that, um, <laughs> example, this summer, there's a, a package tour that's Allison Chains, Breaking Benjamin and Bush. And I was telling my friend about it and they go, oh, I don't know. Breaking Benjamin. I go, well, they're the co-headliner and they're going to be bringing most of the crowd. They're like, what are you talking about? 
I go, well, if you live in Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, Spokane, <laughs> Rockford, right. they've had 15 hits. But then if you live in New York, it's, it's probably two hits. There's certain bands that are killing it. And it's just if you're a New York, L.A., Chicago person, you don't know about it. Yeah, there's a lot of those bands that have continued to do really good business. Uh, Buck Cherry's one of them. Yeah. For sure, for years, uh, even though they probably sound less records than they did age than you know, 10, 12 years ago, like everybody, but they're still... Everyone's Harry Styles. Bring, yeah, they're still bringing on tour. I mean, is Godsmack still out there? You mentioned Breaking yeah. Benjamin. Yeah, you know, Stone Temple Pilots is always a step above everybody else, but they're still out there touring, uh, doing it. There's a bunch of those bands that play really well at state fairs, casinos in the Midwest and yeah. amphitheaters. And that's not a knock. That's they're drawing some doing some serious business because yeah. they still can. They still and mostly original members. They're still bringing it. Absolutely. And hey, you know what? I, I thought about you in this show when I got a press release a day or two ago about the sixth annual Allman Family Revival Tour. Is that something that hit your radar in any way? It did not, surprisingly, because okay. I I must have just missed it, given the amount of various rock website and related newsletters right. I subscribe to. There's no shortage in, in classic rock news as of late, but it's the sixth time that they're doing this, which is basically like an Allman Brothers family and friends roundup a bunch like of the, like the dead like the dead and company. But but an even bigger cast of characters. And some of the people actually played with the band, most of them not. Last year, one of your favorite singers, Robin Zander, he was involved in this. What? Yeah. That just random people are part of this like a one-off gig uh it's a tour it's i don't think xander toured with them i would have known that he at least did the new york city beacon theater show of it and i that nearly went just to hear him do one or two songs but i i didn't but what i'm getting at is seeing that they they've been able to do this for six years and it's not really warren haynes and it's nobody with the last name allman of course but this is yet another example of like the Experience Hendrix tour. One of these things that Van Halen should be doing. You don't need any original members. It can be officially signed off on by the property and you get your friends and family out there and everyone has a great time at theater level shows. That's you know, happening. You know what it is? To, to, to use a marketing buzz phrase, it's called brand extension. Brand extension is <laughs> perfect. They, I never thought in this day and age, I'd be going, we should be doing what the Allman Brothers are doing. But, <laughs> you know, Allman Brothers did not sell albums like Van Halen did. They didn't have the number of hit songs or MTV crossover like Van Halen does. But, you know, they what? could do 15 straight nights at the Beacon Theater in New York or whatever. They set records, right? Was it the Beacon? Exactly. I think yeah. they got up to 20 or 21. So, so what? I'm getting at is there's there's not a lot of correlation between record sales no. and strong legacy management. It doesn't take having 15 hit songs to be able to do this kind of tour. So whatever the Van Halen team is not doing is just such a blunder at this point in time. This kind of a tour, you could say, okay, it's Nuno and it's Ron Wixo who played with Dave on a tour and People don't care what they're playing. They're just going for the sake of a celebration. And I think well, that's 
kind of getting lost. I think if you end up, I think if you end up somewhere down and no knock on him, the Mitch Malloy level, then you're digging a little bit too deep. I'm going to laugh at that and agree because he said yes to our podcast and then said no. So (laughs) take that, Malloy. Well, my whole thing with Van Halen is in particular is that, and the only way I can, you have to, this is more of a visual thing, right? Sure. Most bands are here. My yeah. hand is, you know, chin level. Van Halen to me, even through the metal, you know, the the hair metal years and all that, they had loud guitars, they had bit, you know, Dave had the hair, the charisma, the flashy videos, the lights, the gigantic staging, all that stuff. But Van Halen was always up here to me. There was a different level and my hand is way over my head. You know what I mean? So it's like, it. they're a band that, it's it's about protecting the legacy and maybe maybe sometimes the best way of protecting the legacy is keeping a mystery and unfortunately doing nothing and of course post the tragic death of eddie there's good reason not to do anything but now we're two years later and you do have to wonder okay how do you there's one thing about protecting a legacy through inactivity but there's another thing well how do you how are you a caretaker to it so what are you doing with it to 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 foster new fans to quite frankly make more money because this is all this is a business yes and and also expand you know expand expand that legacy yeah i think that we are seeing a lot of blowback around that pantera tour because people people are doing all the van halen comparisons because the not so active participants of it are the guitarist and the drummer who are brothers and then Van Halen guitarist, drummer, brothers. Okay. So who's, who are the two guys from Pantera that want to work and get along just fine? The singer and the bassist. Wait, where is that in uh, Van Hagar? Where is that in original Van Halen? It's Roth gets along just fine with Michael Anthony. So the blowback that's been around this tour, which I, I'll happily go see this Pantera tour if it's at a good venue, if it's not ridiculous ticket prices, if it's scheduled well. But it's such venom over the people who go, hey, I'd rather see this than not and let them make money. And then the people are going, you can't replace that guy. He's dead. That's terrible. It's the worst thing. You're desecrating the legacy. There isn't a universal thing, but it's the same thing as Van Halen. To a degree. I'll tell you what. You know what this reminds me of? So. I've said this before, and that is at some point, if you have no original members left, yeah, you might have rights to the name, but at that point, you're a tribute act. Yeah. At some point, right? Uh, however, having said that, there's things that are done right, and I'll bring up a perfect example. And, and I don't mean tribute in a derogatory way, and that is Dio's Disciples. Yeah. You can't replace Ronnie James Dio. Now, I don't know. I think they were doing some crazy ass shit with holograms or, or yes. tracks or whatever. That I'd rather stay away from. There's an, because the moment that starts creeping up, another uh, cheddar cheese starts popping up into my head. It just, do you know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah. mm, it's kind of almost Elvisy. It's just, uh, at some point, it's I want it to be completely about the live, the live music. Ronnie James Dio is irreplaceable, of course, but all yeah. those other guys are still out there playing and they're doing the music justice. So they're not going out as Dio. You can't do that. If they're not going, and they're not going out as the what are they were they going out as the last in line? 
No, the, the last line's the second Dio disciples. There's okay. two we, competing Dio things on the road. Okay, you get what I'm saying, but they're not going yeah. out as heaven or hell or something. Do you know? I mean, there's no. no got it right the first time. Dio's disciples is the official estate one. And then last in line is the Vivian Campbell one because he didn't end on good terms with the with, Dio family. That's right. So I think okay. this is his um, punk rock way of giving back hit with his Def Leppard money. <laughs> But again, it is a way of, especially for Dio's disciples, of of keeping the legacy alive. Yeah. And clearly, there's an audience for it. At some point, the marketplace says, "Nope, this is a bridge too far." I don't know. I don't know what point that is. But, it's, but the inactivity thing, you know, fine. I get it. They're mourning the death was a little less than two years ago. I get it. But there eventually comes that point where you can't get those fans back because they stopped looking for you well and that i think you have to at least do it once before you do before you wear it wear out your welcome like unfortunately kiss i think so yeah so the fact that there's been nothing there's nothing and it doesn't appear like there's going to be anything i mean i brought this up before what bums me out is that there was but i'm not surprised that there wasn't at least one tribute concert to benefit a cancer charity benefit the american cancer society or something a big blowout in uh you know the forum or whatever in la but playing devil's advocate here if you were not a van halen diehard but you loved van halen you might go well you know what i saw sammy hagar on the road with michael anthony this past summer and they did two roth era songs oh that's good uh, and they did and they did two hagar era songs i get it i mean if you've got Hagar, Sammy and Michael waving the flag until they can't do it anymore. Um, but I think in this case, you got to tread kind of lightly, but there's a, re there's a really amazing package it could be that could be put together there, like you've brought up that they've done with Hendrix. Hendrix, I, I think this Allman Brothers one is kind of genius. They have one of Roy Orbison's sons in there, Alex Orbison, just a mix of current, siblings <laughs> it's it's a cool mix that's a great legacy i'm not saying every band should do that there shouldn't be the journey family and friends tour no but beach boys eventually it's going to be that's what's going to be kind of needed based on how many members of the beach boys can tour and can perform that at a high level this is a business model that i like that i i think is very respectful to legacies if it's got a positive tone to it. And I would not mind seeing Van Halen do, you know, this, which is basically the G3 tour with, with it's funny. G3 popped in my head to about 30 seconds ago. G3 is cool. I'm not a prog guy. There's only so much shredding I can listen to, but you know what? You're providing a, a service to a lot of people who like it. And I'm sure you can get a couple thousand people in any large market for that. Hence why G3's done, what, like 15 tours? Right. Again, again, and it's a great brand. Yeah. I don't want to use that, overuse that word, but that people know. you. Pe before you even know who, if you like everybody on it, when you hear a G3 tour is coming around, you know it's going to be quality. You know it's going to be good. Yeah. You know Vi's going to be involved, and it's going to be, right? And it's going to be kick-ass. And every one of them, I saw one of those with, I was with, what was it? It was... It was Phil Collin, it was Vi, and I'm forgetting the uh, the middle. Was It wasn't Ingve. It was, um, oh, it was um, oh, from Eric Dream. Johnson. No, it was from the guy from Dream Theater. 
Oh, Petrucci. But yes, yes. And Great that, players, yeah. And there's probably people out there go, yeah, that's not the best G three bill, but you know what? The place was sold <laughs> out, and it was and it was killer. Yeah. Um, there's no shortage of great live shows to, to see if you're a guitar fan, but the greatest guitar band of all time, in my opinion, they need to step up the game. And if, if we can do a recap of what we've learned today, it, can I mean, we do a recap? Yeah, let's recap and close this out. Cause I was going to say, we, we, as always, we start one place and we end up somewhere else. So I got to get back to nothing could have stopped us back then anyway, but because yeah. I, I got a final thought on it, but. Yes, yeah, so nothing could have stopped us back then anyway. We have no idea when it was recorded. We think we know who played on it, we, but we have no idea when it was written or recorded or what the purpose of it was or if it's part of an album or we we still have no concept of what it is, right? Besides, besides just a song. <laughs> in what context... Told- it's a song that was made in the state of California sometime in the last 15 years. That's really all we know. <laughs> Brett Tuggle, we think, played on it, and Greg Bissonette. And I think there's a percussionist, Luis Conte or something like that, also played on some of these tracks. All we know. Um, uh, we know there's a music video, and it's posted three times. We know that. I can tell you it's got less than 22,000 plays on Spotify. Oh, Dave. We know that there's been no public statement from Dave, aside from them blasting this out and it getting picked up on a few news sites, but no comment from him about it being a great track. If Again, it's the thing that's maddening. If you're <laughs> going to comment on a Rolling Stone article three weeks after it comes out with basic three little bullet points... Give us a couple bullet points about this amazing fucking song that came out, man. Come on. So we don't know if he's retired. I, I still don't think he's retired, and I think he's still recording secretly. But we, we don't know anything about that. We don't know the status of the Van Halen tour except what Blair and, and the Deep Throat Dave person told us, which is basically he was blaming Alex kind of, and then... Blair through Eddie was blaming Dave for everything being slow. Wolfgang blamed Dave. Um, so we think it's probably Dave who's holding it up. A year ago when it was first when it was first bandied about, I had some calls. But again, they never no one I brought this up the last episode. Okay, everybody's saying that, but no one's saying specifically what it is. Right. So I mean, is, is Dave saying there's no way I'm going on stage with Sammy or is he saying I need this I need this much money or what are the specifics? Is it I mean, is it just he never got around to returning our calls? I can't believe that. Oh, and returning calls. Um, I did not get any feedback from Team Dave after I sent them all the unclaimed funds he had <laughs> with the states of New York and California. But and on that note, <laughs> but one of our listeners made a joke at me. And he's like, hey, do I have any unclaimed funds? And I found he had like 12 things with the state of Connecticut. So mock Dude, all you want, but we make dreams come true on this podcast, don't we? <laughs> I got to talk to you after we, we, after we stop recording. <laughs> yeah, so, so no comments from Dave since that Rolling Stone thing. So nothing about Mo Osten's death that we are aware of. You know, like no tribute to Mo, even though he was definitely one of the people who put Van Halen on the map. 
Nothing. Uh, no John 5 interviews about this, as evidenced by my earlier anecdote about possibly the Roth camp not liking what we do. <laughs> uh, but I, I, that part I find really intriguing. Is John 5 not doing interviews on purpose? Yeah, because he knows he's going to, he, he knows he's going to, this is the only thing he's going to be asked. 90% of the questions are going to be about this. And whether he was told specifically, don't talk about it, or just doing kind of the smart thing, because he's a very smart guy. You know what? Until I get the blessing, I'm not going to talk about this. So I'm not going to do any interviews because that's what everybody's going to ask about, which yeah. just lends itself to the continuous mystery. Because that is now, everything with Dave. John Five made headlines a day or two ago because he's right now on Rob Zombie's tour. Because right. he's Rob's longtime collaborator and foil, creatively speaking. And Peter Chris came out to sing Happy Birthday to John Five at, at the show, I think in PNC Bank Arts Center in New Jersey. And there's if you live in the New York State tri-state area, you you've gotten some Peter appearances in the last you know, three, four months. Right. That's like a, a rare sighting. Like, oh, Peter Chris is, is here. You know, that kind of a thing. And he came out for John Five, who he played on John Five's album. He played drums on it, which is not something he'd done on anyone's album in a long time. Right. So John made some headlines with that. So he really must be biting his lips to not talk about the Roth track or the Peter Chris thing or what's going on with Rob Zombie. Very likely. And on that note. <laughs> on that note, uh, yeah, we'll we'll be back soon with an interview and uh, maybe a Dave archival live show th that we've unearthed on YouTube. Those keep popping up. And uh, I don't know. Thanks for listening. Oh, of course. Thanks for listening. Yeah. We've been. Thanks to all the new followers and listeners out there. It's been a banner couple months here as we're as we're creeping up on this will probably put us over 10,000 downloads to date or 10,000 listens per date, whatever metric they're using. The 10,000 is a number which in in two years might be small for most folks, but with a little podcast that that could can and does, I guess. So thank you. It can, it does. And thank you for listening. Thank you to Steve for making this recording session happen. And <laughs> looking forward to thank you. some form of news soon related to Dave. If not, we're going to have to find out other ways to get his uh, business manager to not like us. We've got plenty of things to talk about and plenty of people to talk with still. So, Yes, thanks indeed. Have a good one.